0: Today's story is different. Why? Well, many people I have on the show are typically running a small training business, a small team, or it's just them. That's great. Some guests I've had, however, run a multi-person training business. I'm thinking of Joe Ellen Gribb of Impact Factory, or Nick Small of Working Voices, or Grant Cardone of Cardone University and many more. But it's wonderful to chat to two people who are transitioning from a small team of three to what they describe as a multi-person blended learning business earning tens of millions in revenue annually. So if you're on your own right now or there are a few of you and you want to hear a great story of exactly why and how two people are scaling up their training business, then you're really going to enjoy this. This is episode 116 of the Training Business Podcast.
1: Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode, here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes.
0: Hi, my name is Mark, I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the show. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants just like you and me all around the world. And every week it's either an episode with me or increasingly as is the case these days, we have guests on the show, really great guests on the show and today, is no exception. And the goal of every episode of the show is to help you to start, to grow, and of course to scale a profitable training business, which is today's theme. My guests today are Russell and Stephanie Watkins of Sempai, that's S-E-M-P-A-I.co.uk. they are a couple in the UK who are taking their three-person lean consultancy brand, and will define what lean means. They're transforming it and they're scaling it into a multi-million pound digital training business. We're going to talk about what their brand means, who needs what they do, what they see as a massive market opportunity, and how they're scaling up with the help of resources, including membership of an accelerator program. Let's meet Steph and Russell. Russell, Stephanie, hi, welcome to the show.
1: Mark, hello. Thanks for having us. Hi, Mark.
0: Hi, um, so as I've said before, I recorded. you've had coffee so everyone's uh, comfortable. And the reason is that this could be quite an interesting and and long conversation because it's fascinating. It's the first time I've had people on talking about planning and scaling, which is the stuff that you have in mind, to the extent that you have it in mind. So let's begin with you, which is the story of of Senpai. You're currently, lean consultants you have three employees so a comparatively small business you describe it as a boutique lean consultancy what exactly does that mean boutique lean consultancy
1: okay so uh we we work with generally very big manufacturers uh, across the globe helping them to improve the way their factories work um the capability of their people their safety quality cost delivery performance etc um and the boutique sense is that, as a lean consultancy, generally there are there are several paths open. One is that you just uh, you freelance and you do it through agencies, so somebody else finds your work. Another is that you form longer-term relationships with larger businesses and help them through time with a with a, a transformation, um, but keep working on increasingly bigger issues with them. And that that comes back to our name, Senpai, that we'll cover, I'm sure. Um, and uh, uh, a third way is to scale and to scale in terms of a consultancy it basically means taking on other consultants and we never really fancied that route um, because you know lean consultants are tricky people to manage can be um, and uh, uh, you have a problem with not a problem there is always a consideration for quality control when you when you go into a business you know it's going to be all hard and all head and very very strong. But to have to control other people and to uh, to keep uh, the, the quality in the brand is trickier.
0: Okay. So for people listening who are thinking, what on earth is lean? Lean, as I understand it, is all about uh, processes to manage resources, typically to manage waste or to minimize waste. And it's, it's used in industry, right? Manufacturing, typically.
1: Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it started in manufacturing, certainly with uh, Henry Ford and then uh, the Japanese through Toyota and Taichi Ono. Um, it, it's also matured in terms of its understanding. It's it, Essentially, it's a business strategy. And uh, um, any any company, so mainly manufacturers use it, but any company that has a customer, a process to deliver something and some value within there, they are ripe for lean thinking to help improve the way that they get value to their customer using fewer resources.
0: So the business is called Senpai. So you've, you mentioned Toyota just now. Obvious connection with Japan. I'm familiar with the word kaizen, which is, I'm told, the Japanese word for continuous improvement. What does senpai mean, and why did you choose that word for your business?
1: So senpai refers to a relationship in uh, a traditional Japanese relationship, senpai-kohai relationship. And and they sit below the sensei, the the, the teacher. The the senpai, and quite often it's used in martial arts, actually. Um, The senpai is generally the one who's further along, the the senior, but in terms of progress, understanding, depth of knowledge, wisdom. The kohai is the junior. However, the special part of the relationship for us is that the the senpai's role is to to teach and develop the kohai, but to teach them the right stuff at the right time and to give freely of their knowledge, and also to show vulnerability, to, to let the kohai see uh, the weakness so that so that they, they can grow as well. The co job is to pin their ears back and aim to surpass their senpai. So that kind of informs our consultancy model, which is we don't want to come in and sell consultancy days. We, we want to increase capability in your business so that you no longer need us for problem A and let's help you with problem B so we get your capability higher on that.
0: Okay, so you're working typically with multinational companies. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, it is. Hmm. Yeah, we're working with... Um, Toyota Group Dendo um, JCB, BD, Beckton Dickinson mm. uh, medical company um, and we've worked in the UK and in the. US, China, Japan,
0: Mexico uh, in- India and that's the three of you or the two of you as, as consultants.
2: Uh, well, Russell, Russell does all the consultancy work, and then I do the uh, the financial side and the business planning. So Russell's, Russell's the one that does the consultancy.
0: Okay. So you have a wonderful story, actually, of, of what made you go freelance. At the time, your kids were small. You'd just taken out a massive mortgage, and you were working for a multinational. What, what prompted you then to, uh, <laughs> what conversation prompted you to go freelance and, and do your own thing?
1: So so I was, I, I'd been working for this multinational for about two years, and I'd, I'd actually joined them. I joined them because the kids were, were tiny, and I had, we, we'd, we'd agreed a long time ago that uh, we didn't want me to be the kind of father who would go away uh, Sunday to Thursday, tip up on a Friday to a list of things that our kids had done for the first time. <laughs>
2: Yeah, because we'd already li- li- lived through that for years, years before, so we wanted to, to make sure that that didn't continue after we'd had children. Yeah.
1: Um, but, but then for that, for that two and a half years in that uh, multinational, they were, they were sending me ar- around the world troubleshooting and putting fires out, which is perfectly fascinating and skill, skill-growing, but, but not conducive to growing a family. Anyway, to, towards the end of the period I was there, I didn't know it was the end of the time, my boss, the uh, group manufacturing director... Uh, who looked after global factories called me in, and he said, "You're going to America," and I said, "You know what? I'm. I swear, you just said <laughs> you want to go to America," <laughs> and, and he said, "No, no, you, you're going to America." And we had we we had a, a to and fro, and uh, and he he tried to explain to me that the, the prevailing culture in the business was that the business decides where you go, and and you're a pawn to be moved across a global chessboard. And I said, "Well." It's not that, that was
2: to actually go and live there, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah. just a visit. It was, no, it, to, it, was, it was it was to go, to and, go live. and live
1: there. Yeah, I'd been yeah. I'd been i been visiting to, to, to support a burning plant a few times. Anyway, <clears throat> this all this all kind of uh, worked out well because a couple of weeks before, on a plane, no, just before I, I I got on a plane between America and India, an old boss of mine who I got on with while had phoned me. There was a coded conversation about I'm looking for a lean person. Do you know anybody?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that conversation.
1: (laughs) That conversation, and I said, well, funnily enough, uh, I am, I am, uh, I am interested in in going freelance at some point, but I I didn't realize then how imminent it would be. I said, but my next move will be uh, freelance. I I don't want to be employed by anybody else. Uh, So he said, well, leave that with me. And anyway. A couple of weeks later, when I had this conversation with my boss on a Friday, I then went home for the weekend, uh, had, a, had a conversation with, with my old boss, had a conversation with Steph, and my old boss offered me a three-month contract um, with two tiny kids and a massive mortgage. And so I said to Steph, well... <laughs> He's offered me a three-month contract, but uh, but you know I I think it'll be all right because uh, I, I can do some good stuff. And but by the way, Mark, our, our risk profiles are very different. Mine is um, I I I'll generally put everything into the Vietnamese stock market, and Steph, Steph will put you know the money under the mattress when you.
2: <laughs> yes, you have a very different attitude yeah. to risk. Yeah. But in this instance, it was a no-brainer really because I kind of trusted that you would. Do really well because you're really good at this stuff
1: so and i uh, and i and i uh and, and yeah and steph said uh, look go for it i back you so i went in on a monday put put my notice in and uh, he, he sent he sent me to china for, for two weeks as a kind of good natured punishment to babysit a plant
0: <laughs> right so how long ago is that since that all that happened
2: so that was back in 2007 Um, And we started the company in in April 2007.
0: So you've been consultants throughout that time. Um, And of course, then you've been involved in doing things like judging awards. You've won lots of contracts through referral. So thinking of of the direction you're taking now, because when we spoke, first of all, you said you never wanted to build an empire. That's what I wrote down. But now you're scaling. So I'm curious where you feel the business opportunity is. And what that looks like when that process is done
1: so uh, over the past couple of years with my with the clients that we work with um, more and more we've been getting involved in digital manufacturing uh, bringing in vendors um, finding out the need understanding how that world world works and for the last ooh, I don't know three three four years I've started to get a bit jaded of consulting because as much as you, as much as it's wonderful to bring skill on and to improve factories to improve businesses the same patterns start to come around um and those patterns re- reinforce your knowledge but they can become a little repetitive so we, we we wanted to scale but not take on people
2: well yeah well we had a conversation because the, the, by then um this we're talking uh end of 2017 so that so our oldest was um, she was seventeen, and they were getting to the age where they didn't really need us around so much, and um, we saw an opportunity to to change things around a little and grow the business. And we had conversations about what we could do. And at first, it wasn't even necessarily lean. You know, we were That's right. At, we did. We did. We, we did. A, we yeah. did a
1: brainstorm. We we. In fact, we, we did two. We did we did a sober brainstorm, and we did one. <laughs> of right?
2: Yeah, we just we did a sober one, and then we decided to go to the pub and see if we could be more creative if we'd had a drink. And the downfall with that plan was the next morning we couldn't quite remember what
0: our. Plans but you'd lots of brilliant ideas, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we settled on um, the fact that we could use our existing knowledge, and the fact that you know. You do have a passion Hmm. for uh, lean and and manufacturing, Um, and uh, we we decided that we would focus on using those resources to hand to to think about how (coughs) how to grow that business without growing a consultancy. Yeah,
0: but but
1: but we knew it was going to be digital scaling.
0: Excuse me, sir. Hang on. That's that's um yeah, digital scaling. I think is a is a key expression here what is that for people because i mean if i think this through it sounds like you can't really scale unless you want to take on more people or do something else so if you're happy to remain small in terms of employees the obvious thing is to do something which can reach more people and that's digital so what what does that mean to you to digital scaling
1: so it, it means at, at the moment. Um our business model is a time-based model. So, uh, if I'm present on site, uh, I can charge and and we can we can bill as a business. But it, it's a one-to-one relationship. Um, each hour is only one hour. However, if we can leverage our approach, our methods, uh, which are a little different to a lot of consultants, um, if we can leverage our approach, our methods, and the skill into a digital platform that works. And that people use then we can do a one to many relationship and concurrently that that one hour can be a hundred hours a thousand hours um, especially and and there is a possibility of you know whilst people are having us in a digital format um, there is a possibility of blending that with uh, a small amount of physical interaction you know at touches to help them along the way as well
0: so we're, we'll talk in a moment about the accelerator, which is the, the vehicle through which you've secured funding and, and why that's important. What mistakes have you made along the way? Because I've made plenty and, and most people listening to this in the training business have made plenty. What, what stories do you have about lessons along the, the journey to from freelancer to now about to scale? Uh, okay, so
1: um, I could, well, I'll, I'll start if you like. and, and Steph. Steph, Steph has a, a list of my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so I, t- well, I actually, to to be fair, as an aside, we we have a really good balance uh, as a pair. We we have to be careful to keep work and uh, and personal life separate. But our balance is that I I I tend to decide on something very quickly, and I'm and I'm headstrong, and I want to go for it. And Steph is is more considered and make some very timely interventions. So even though we're about to tell you about mistakes, there are others that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. However, uh, yeah, so when, when we first got into the accelerator, we had a, a, uh, a mentor who was very good because he, he could see past my bluster and silky words and was, what are you going to do? What, how are you actually going to test this idea of yours? And, and um, I'd forgotten lean startup principles the fact that you fail fast fail early get something create something doesn't matter how raggedy it is but get it out there in front of a few trusted clients and test it and use the feedback and iterate iterate uh i'd forgotten that and we faffed around for a few months didn't we yeah until uh somebody somebody gave us a kick and and got us on our bike and that that really got us uh kicked off nicely again
0: so Lean Startup Principles, for people listening to this, suggests that you can begin with a kind of a framework with with the bare essentials. You don't have to have everything in place, but you can take an idea, you can test this idea, perhaps with a small group of customers or, or even prospective customers. You can learn from that, cycle this learning back into the product and keep iterating, keep uh, l- l- releasing, uh, not holding this project, if you will, Inside your mind, or it's on the drawing board, and waiting till it's perfect. It, it's getting it out there. It's testing that for market reaction, and then taking those lessons, and then using this to to align the the product, whatever that is, tangible and tangible, with the kinds of people are willing to pay for what you do. Is, is that a fair summary?
1: It is, and that and that works absolutely fine, um, assuming that, that your customers go into it eyes wide open. They know that that's the approach you're taking and it's, it's, it's priced accordingly. It's the, it's the MVP model because because we we know at least two or three people who have spent 100, 150 grand of their own money, you know, we're, we're talking remortgaging properties here and have been developing a golden goose behind closed doors and then they finish it, put a tidy bow around it, ta present it to, to the, world, and the world and the world says, nah, didn't really want that.
0: Well things have moved on in, in that time
1: yeah yeah and and they didn't and they didn't use a test enough. I mean you know we we we've done lots of user testing of course there are there are flaws because what users tell you and what they do are different things, but at least we're engaged in the conversation here
0: <laughs> yeah. so just a quick recap here, so um, you, there was something happened the the story you you gave me where um, almost Fate intervened, and the the choice was put to you Hobson's choice in a way, as we say over here, which is that you felt there was no way except to go out on your own. You went freelance. That was back two thousand seven. Um, in the interim, you've been consulting with large organizations, helping them with with lean, which of course helps businesses to be really, really uh, efficient, minimise waste, etc. And as you said, typically. Uh, it's it's manufacturing, but laterally, other kinds of organizations can can benefit from lean principles. And now we're looking at uh, the process of of scaling up the business, so moving from a three person model, uh, principally consulting, into now providing, let's call it um, a digital, a groundbreaking way, as you call it, of delivering lean training to the marketplace. And then you mentioned the fact that you you made a couple of mistakes, which is everything everyone's done whenever they've done something for the first time and particularly in business, uh, learning, but fast learning is key, which of course is the, I think one of the ideas behind lean, um, lean startups. Um, and of course there are a couple of books that we can mention perhaps at the end of the show on, on things like lean startups. Um, one book from Chris Gillibo comes to mind, which I think is the hundred dollar startup. So it's really important lessons for people listening. But what is interesting now to me is is the process of an accelerator. And that's a term I think we should define as well. My experience, or at least vicarious experience of people telling me what that means is that it's a vehicle where people who are experts in a a variety of ways put you into a program which takes your business from where it is to where it needs to be or wants to be next. So a couple of questions around that from me. What actually was the kicker here what did someone say to you or what did you have to do to qualify for this this really exciting vehicle this accelerator program where experts help you to take your ideas and as you said scale them up to the next level where it's uh, ultimately a blended learning business earning tens of millions in annual revenue
2: so uh we went to a i think it's called make Made UK, Mate UK in oh, yeah, I I in Sheffield, which was a bunch of entrepreneurs um, presenting uh, their businesses and how they had um, where they came from and how they grew the business. and And one guy uh, was the founder of Beer Fifty Two, and he mentioned that he had been in Entrepreneurial Spark, based in Scotland, I think at the time. Um, And then we went away and thought, well, that sounds pretty good. So I looked it up. um, We applied for it. And at the time, it was within the NatWest Bank. They were using Entrepreneurial Spark. It then became part of NatWest. And so NatWest had its own um, accelerator, which we then applied to. And uh, it was it was a process where you have to pitch and give them your idea and then they come back to you and tell you whether you've been successful or not. And luckily we were successful and it's a program that well the NatWest one because there's lots of different accelerators you can have tech accelerators but but the NatWest one um, it very much focuses on you growing you as the individual and it's a program that they put together where they um, assign you a mentor. You have uh, a boot camp at the beginning, which is all the businesses within the cohort come together and everybody uh, has the opportunity to pitch their business and learn how to practice pitching their business. And throughout the program, which I think is around six months, um, there are various topics that you look at uh, and attend workshops and um, it's such a great environment to be in because it's a group of my mi- like-minded people, and you learn so much from from those people. Very different businesses to us, um, but you learn from the mistakes that they've made, and also you get you get to know you get to be part of a much bigger network, um, and this is. The point where we drew on some of the expertise within that um, to create our proof of concept. So, so people have been through a similar process and were able to tell us the pitfalls. Um, and so, it was just a fantastic opportunity for us. You know, it it, it really it really made a big difference.
0: Did you mentioned NatWest and, and for people not familiar with that, NatWest is a bank in the UK, right? So frequently these. Uh, programs accelerators are are funded or co funded by financial institutions for obvious reasons because they're obviously desperate to get you as customers and lend you money and and, and so on. Um, so that that's very exciting. The nearest I've been to an accelerator, although it's not really, is a, a Google Startup Weekend, and I'm not sure Google still run them the way they used to. But you you'd go along, um, you'd, you'd pitch up on a Friday evening, meet people, you'd you'd don a t shirt to show Perhaps your background, so maybe red for tech or black for business and blue for uh, ops or something else. And you have some beer and pizza, and you meet people, you chat. This sounds a lot more formal. Um, so the Google Weekend idea, I think, is that you get people just to talk. Here, you're actually, I suppose, it's a different level. You've got people who, who who are taking you very, very seriously. They're putting money into you, and I think that's something we'll look at in a moment. The concept of raising money and why that's important to you. What, what to your mind, what was the the confirmation in your mind when someone said to you, look, you're good enough to join this programme? What what did you actually go through emotionally and what did you think of of, of the possibility now of bringing your goals closer to reality? Should
1: I go with you? Yeah. Okay. So uh, this, um,
0: this, this is going to sound awful, but I, I never doubted that we were
1: good enough to join the programme. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, was,
2: I, I like was that. <laughs> I was, I, personally, I was stunned. It was like, Yay!
1: I, uh, I I never doubted, but because because um, the great thing about being Japanese lean trained is that you um you have there, there's there's a nice mix of confidence and humility. So I, I was confident enough to know, to know that we were strong enough and our and our idea had legs enough to try. But I was humble enough to know that there were gaps in our knowledge. There were muscles we hadn't had to grow as freelance consultants. Uh, sales marketing structuring a business find finding finance all that kind of stuff so um I kind of knew I kind of had a strong feeling that we'd be attractive enough as a proposition and yet there were gaps enough for them to warrant giving us a place um, but but it was it, it was still exciting and what what was what was good about it was the way it was structured you know it was structured um Apart from the boot camp up front, there were there were monthly uh, training sessions, all of you together, and then you had a check in with your mentor. But they were very, quite rightly, they were very hard on pitching. You pitch at a drop of a hat. You know, if you if you saw them in, in, in the
0: corridor, you had to pitch, and and that that honing of your message was really important. So, of course, this is what what VCs and and angel investors get. Um, in a way, <clears throat> excuse me, they're buying they're buying you as people, you and staff. <laughs> they're buying the product, which we'll come to in a moment. But of course, then they're buying proof. This thing actually has legs. There is a market demand for this. Because without that, of course, there's no justification for external sources. How important to your plan was the, the goal of, ex- of sourcing and getting funding? So to to actually realise this business opportunity.
1: Well, it, it was it was important at a point. So lean on the lean startup principles. Once 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 I, I remembered them and we and we fully signed up to them again. Uh, the prototype, <laughs> uh, the prototype, we we knocked up for eight hundred quid um, and then uh, which which was pretty much a clickable thing with some limited interaction, low-fi, blue peter on an iPad that we touted around our, our clients and ex clients and said. Do you fancy this? And they said, "Yeah, it looks all right." And um, uh, and then so that eight eight hundred quid allowed us to have something, and the feedback we had there, w- there was more structured than, than I than I just made out. The feedback allowed us then to leverage into an application for a funding body.
2: But but before that, Mark, so the so the point of us having to build the park in the first place was because we had tried before to get funding and we we'd failed we had um and it was with ufi uh, and they're a charitable trust for voc tech uh, vocational training and we'd applied to them the previous year for funding and we didn't get through but they really liked our idea and they gave us some uh, consultancy funding um and that helped us put into shape and and make us produce the proof of it concept.
1: Did. It did. She, ga- she gave us the kick.
2: Yeah. So um, it was from that, really, that that made us uh, produce this proof of concept. And then the next time we applied for funding, we were in a much better, stronger position.
1: Yeah. So, and to move on from the proof of concept to, to the prototype, we needed to secure something like £50,000 because... If we'd just wanted to put our materials, our our training materials, our methodologies online as many are, we could just push vanilla slides, slides of the world, and just mount it on some generic thing. But actually, what we're trying to do required some coding. It required um, it required a bit of thinking. So uh, we managed to secure the, the fifty grand funding, and we we're, we're currently uh, we have our development team working with us to create this this new way of training team leaders who, by the way, we love a team leader.
0: (laughs) So at the moment you're working with external consultants. Um, The goal eventually I imagine is to have in-house tech people um, and to have in-house lean experts. So when this is done, you will have a blended learning business, which is earning tens of millions. Um, It's a digital platform. So when someone has this product in your hand, why is it so, what is the opportunity that that's other people haven't seen? I'm not asking you to give away your uh, business advantage here, but just clarify, perhaps in your mind for people listening, what was the eureka where you go, you know what, there's no one else doing this. And, and if we scale this properly, it's not just, uh, 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 you know, uh, Steph and Russell. It, it's, um, it's, it's a large opportunity with, with, with a considerable amount of annual revenue into the tens of millions, as you've told me.
1: So I'll, I'll dance around this slightly, Mark, um, but um, if you look at the current way that, so I'll go back to team leaders. So every factory has a number of team leaders and team leaders are people who are perfectly smart. If you ever want to hear sharp banter, don't, 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 go, to the, don't, don't go to the playing, playing fields of Eden or, uh, or, the, or the hallowed halls of Harvard. You go, to, you go to a factory and listen to team leaders. These are smart people smart people who have failed by the education system because they learn through their hands. Um, They are are time-starved people. They've got young families. They're not earning a huge amount, but they are the hidden heroes in manufacturing. Now, now, um, when most people try to train them, they, they either bring an expensive consultant in or they point them towards books or they lock them in a classroom. More more people nowadays actually go on the shop floor, on the Gemba, as we say with them, and work with them. And that's great. That's what we, we've been doing for the last 15 years. There is nothing else in the marketplace currently that truly takes account of the situation that the team leader is in. Their specific situation. So what we're looking to do is fill that gap.
0: Okay, I'm not asking you to expand upon that unless you want to, but... Uh... And
1: they'll be able to improve their cell their with, with a tablet on the shop floor. S- situation meaning uh, meaning you know how, how much they know and, and how good or bad their area is.
0: right So the, the end product to kind of make this tangible for people listening is, is an is an app or some kind of tech running on something physical like an iPad or a, some tablet and this is in the hands of people. So it's providing almost learning just in time for people who need it and and will this be through some kind of subscription will this be through some other means of of paying for this i I presume you're selling this to a company and then they roll this out to their internal team leads etc
2: yeah and that is um because obviously we're we're still on this journey of creating it um that is something we haven't bottomed out yet um because we're still very much in the development stage of it, and so we have to kind of learn from what from the uh, prototype. And when we go and test that again, um, we can learn more about how to price it and how we sell it. Yeah, we have an idea, but um, I, I, I do think that we we need to be kind of market led here, and we need to listen to our customers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what's exciting is that you're receiving external validation. That's what what really appears to me to be confidence building in the sense that someone said to you, you have a POC or proof of concept. You have share this with people who have the power, the wherewithal to pay for something like this. They see a market need and now the accelerator has accepted you, You've, you're going through this program, you're learning from people who've, who've gone ahead of you, they've made mistakes, uh, which of course is the value of an accelerator. It's not just the, um, the development, it's the shared knowledge or tribal knowledge. Um, and now people are saying to you, they're willing to give you money to uh, scale this further. In terms of what th- those people need because this is where the rubber hits the road in a way VCs, angel investors, people who've got money and say we like you, we like the product, we think this is marketable. What would you say to people listening they need to do to have ready if they want to be eligible to enter a program like this and satisfy the requirements of people with a checkbook who can actually almost change their their trajectory in life? Um, if they're successful in applic- uh, application?
1: So, so it's okay. <clears throat> so one, one softer point, and, and, then, and then I'll answer your question directly. It's the softer point is if you do get in, into accelerator, beware the trap that we saw many fall into. So we were, we were generally a, li- a little bit older than most accelerator people, maybe 10 years older. And you would, you, you would be sat there working away occasionally chatting to people, but you would see people who would butterfly from desk to desk all day long and not actually get much done. The risk with, with accelerator is that there's so many exciting people to talk to. There's so many courses to go on that you end up being a professional accelerator attendee. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And never actually growing your business. So there is a, there is a balance to be, to be struck. But in, in terms of what, what you need, it's okay to start with a great idea. But that great idea very quickly has to meet a market need. There has to be a pain point in the market, um, something that is being missed, and that has to be validated as early as possible. So uh, investors or, or anybody who's going to put any kind of time, effort or money into your business, they want to know what is the pain point, how is it currently being served, what is different about how you're going to serve it that means that pe- people are going to switch to you. Uh, and how are you going to scale and monetize this? You know, what, um, uh, where, do, how does the
0: money flow back in, in, in what sense? So Steph, when, when this is all done, what, what do you think this will look like to you and, and to Russell in terms of, um, a vehicle that, that is from you, it's of you, but it's not you anymore. You're not actually the people doing all the work you're, you're building a team around you.
2: Uh, I think it will, I mean, we'll still be at the center of it, I think, because, um, Obviously, it's built on lean knowledge, which Russell has in abundance. So um, we'll still very much be a part of it. But I'm really looking forward to having a, a bigger team of people as well. So its I know we've got freelancers working with us, but I'm, I'm quite looking forward to when we also take on more employees um, and we have a bigger team. And uh, I'm just excited to be satisfying the customer and, and putting something out there that... <coughs> that they love and that they want yeah. that, that's quite exciting
1: well it's it's it's, it's interesting though know, because we um the, the thing about the bigger team uh, the, the way that we've consulted over the years is that I've ended up being a conciliary and you know you know, like a mafia-style conciliary. <laughs>
0: right, interesting analogy
1: <laughs> to the uh, M- MDC. Uh, you, you know, some somebody who's leak-proof, uh, uh, as in, you know, they they keep things confidential. They they process fast. They they're they're a good sounding board. But but they, apart from their lean skill, that there is a conciliary. and. What often gets aimed at people like like us is, look, you know, you're, you're forever telling us how to run our business, but you've not actually run a business with a significant team. And you say, well, you know, that's a fair point. Yeah, um, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. But uh, what what has been really really nice, I, I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much. But what has been really nice is is our team is remote because of. The nature of digital and COVID. So, we have somebody, we have a digital learning designer in Brighton, we have somebody, we have a technical lead in Brighton, we have somebody in Cardiff, somebody in Plymouth, art director. But actually, pulling these together, I thought would be quite painful, but it's actually turned out to be quite enjoyable. (laughs) So, it gives, I think it gives us comfort that actually we don't mind the idea of running a growing business as much as we thought. I thought I might not.
0: Yeah. And it's funny how I've heard frequently the opposite. People can't wait wait to divest themselves of, of their agency staff because they just want to go back to being maybe some kind of expert, write books, give talks, uh, pop up now and again on social media. But um, they want to. Do, it's refreshing to hear that people actually want to scale and want to grow and want to take on people because if we don't do that, then where are the jobs for people? In, in a way, we, we have responsibilities as business owners to not just provide work for ourselves, but laterally, if we can, for other people. And I'm glad you say that, see that way too. Absolutely. So if we kind of, I won't say come to the end of the dream, but uh, if we say, what does done look like at some point, you will want to hang up the boots or or the app um, to, to use an analogy. When will, you know, the time is done when things have been done and you now say, you know what it's, it's, we're done too. We're actually now happy to exit the business, move on, and do something else. Have you a kind of a tunnel vision where you know what the end of the tunnel looks like?
1: So we, we you know, we we talk about this quite a lot. Um, <clears throat> we we're in this for at least five to seven years to grow it to a, to a point where that where it's a significant business. What happens at that point is really hard to say because. As we stand today, we, we might think, well, it'll be nice to sell it then and to go off and do all the stuff that, that that we talk about doing as a as husband and wife to live three months in Sydney a year, to live three three months in in New York a year, to to go walking and traveling in Southeast Asia again. Um But but I have a feeling that we'll we'll still want to be involved. So it, it may be that we that we sell a part of the business, it may be that we open up other parts of the business that to support other businesses that are growing or uh, our daughter is in international development so so we have a real interest in the the possibilities for lean frontline charitable third sector work and how it can help uh, you know scarce donations flow straight straight to the front line um So that my my take is I don't really know, except we're in this for five to seven years and may end up selling and may end up keeping. (laughs) That's vague, I'm sorry. (laughs) What about you, Steph?
2: Yeah, very much very much the same really. I do quite like the idea because um I'm very keen that part of Lean itself is that you use less resource. Um and so um I'm with that environmental head-on and also with the, the charitable head-on, I am quite keen to encourage our daughters to, to, to look at that option and for us to pursue um, the opportunity to work with charities and help them more lean as well. Um, but I, 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 I am looking forward to a time when we are more certain about what we want to do because at this point we're not actually quite sure. But we have, we have, I guess, we've got a vision, and that will be when we do eventually sell that we will um, have a small place in the country um, where we will grow our own veg, etc. So there is an end point at some point, but we don't quite know when that is yet.
0: It's fascinating, and I, I'm, it sounds to me like you love being in the training business and and training itself, help, consulting people with people, helping them to to be the best they can be, and of course that's. For most of us listening, that is the 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 principle behind what we do, what we do, which is that we love helping people get from where they are to where they want to be. And it's nice to hear someone almost get that payback, which now is relying on other people to help you in your training business to get to the next level too.
1: Can I leave you with a, with a final Japanese quote that kind of sums up our business? The, the quote is, "Monozukuri wa hitozakuri. And uh, "Monozukuri wa zakuri basically tra- translates as you make good people to make good things. So in a manufacturing sense, if you want to make good cars or, you know, good irons or good, good whatever, you have to build good people and they w- good products will flow from them. Um, so what we what, what we're trying to do is and and what's really our lifeblood is uh, if you increase the capability of the people, then automatically, you know, the what the business creates will flow better. Um, Monastery. Sorry, carry on.
0: And, and that's, of course, as good uh, a testimony to the power of training as any I've heard in, in quite a while.
1: Right. It's, um, I, I can't, as, I, as with everything, Mark, I've, I've stolen that.
0: <laughs> Where can people find out more about you?
1: Uh, so we have we have a website, www.senpai.co.uk. We're, uh, we're on LinkedIn, uh, myself and Steph. Uh, Russell and Stephanie Watkins we also have a Twitter account which is uh, stuff that interests us and is related to Lean and that's at Lean Senpai and uh, we have uh, a book as well that, that we wrote several years ago that, um, that really operates at, the, operates at the Nexus I, I sound like a, a consultant now it's where the real world meets Lean um, and it's called Adventures in Lean Land and it's there on Amazon
0: and it's helping people find you and uh, engage with you yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, um, Steph and Russell, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been wonderful having you as guests on the show.
1: Pleasure, thank Mark. You Mark. Th- thank you.
0: And that's a wrap. And my thanks to Russell and Steph Watkins of senpai.co.uk. That's spelt S-E-M-P-A-I.co.uk. And you can find out more about Russell and Steph and their business by visiting their website, And Russell also mentioned towards the end a book that they've written called Adventures in Lean Land. And you can find this on Amazon and bookdepository.com in both Kindle and paperback form. And of course, my sincere thanks to you today for your time in listening to this episode of the Training Business Podcast. There is, of course, a fresh episode every Thursday, and I welcome your comments and, of course, your suggestions for the kinds of content That you'd like to have guests on the show or just topics, the things you'd like to discuss or have me discuss with people, and the kinds of people that you think are the right people to have on the show. So you've got some great ideas, please keep them coming, and you can email me directly, mark at trainingbusiness.com. I mentioned that we have a fresh episode every Thursday, so I look forward to your company next Thursday, and you can subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, many of them, including iHeartRadio, Apple Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, a bunch of other ones I can't even think of because there are so many of them these days. Podcasting is hot right now. But do me a favor, if you wouldn't mind, and recommend this show to your colleagues in the training business and subscribe because, of course, this helps people to find the episodes and the show itself online. But until next Thursday, look after yourself, keep training, keep selling, and catch you next time.